The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saulnier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. We've got uh, Jim on the on the line here. He'll be joining us shortly. He's feeling much better. If you were if you listened to a show recently where he uh, uh, was on the mend, but I think we've got a hundred percent Jim today, so that's excellent. He's warned me we have uh, some Social Security and Irma questions on the on the top end, like we've been doing for the past several months. So we'll get into those. And then uh, he's promised me a, at least one new question of the week. So uh, we'll learn together what that might be. The um, email address, by the way, to send in your own questions, if you want questions to be considered for the show, just send in your question to jim at jimhelps.com. That's Jim's email directly. Uh, that's jimhelps.com. And in the subject line, make sure you indicate that it's a question for the podcast. And it'll go into the hopper. Uh, or whatever storage device Jim's using this week. And um, hopefully you'll get chosen in the not-too-distant future to have your question dealt with on the Retirement and IRA show. So, Jim, uh, thanks for joining me uh, it's this morning as we're recording this. I don't know when you all are listening to it, but we have a beautiful morning in Colorado today. It is. It is a beautiful morning, and uh, thank you, and welcome, everybody. I, I am back from the dead. Um I've been back from the dead for a while. I've been feeling pretty good all week, so so that's good. I'm uh, recording this only through my laptop microphone, so uh, if it doesn't sound quite as good as it usually does, I promise to have my whole microphone gizmo setup that Chris bought for me set up uh, by next time we record. But this is through my laptop microphone, so I may not sound uh, as, as good, or, or uh, you might mistakenly hear muff-ups of the English language and things like that, that's purely attributed to the fact that I don't have my microphone hooked up. Mm. Yeah, we've got that uh, grammar and language filter on his other professional it microphone. Does. It does. And, and it, right. And without that, you're going to think, I don't know how to talk the English language, how to pronounce more than a three-syllable word, and that I don't know euphemisms. Uh, what are they called? What are those things called that I sometimes mess up oh, just, when I don't have the right microphone? Just general sayings. Mm-hmm. Sayings, okay. 
Yeah. All right. But anyways, uh, we do. Today is going to be something different, Chris. Don't you just love when I hit you with this? Oh, no. <laughs> so the only difference is going to be this morning when I was uh, mulling through my emails to to find a social security question, I found a social security question that really isn't a question. It's a description of something that happened to this gentleman. And I thought, well, it, it's a good thing, and Chris can opine and expand upon it. So then I searched for my Irma questions, as you know, and I found an Irma question that's pretty much the same thing. It's not a question. It's just a listener sharing something that happened to them. And what happened to them and the ex thing that they did and didn't realize they weren't supposed to do it that way was something I didn't know. And I like learning something new all the time. And I thought, huh, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. So the two quote unquote questions, listener and Chris, who has to deal with this, um, aren't really questions. It's more experiences that I thought you could um, kind of give your thoughts on or maybe mm -hmm. at least expand a little bit upon. Does that does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I know I don't have yeah. the right microphone, so no. it may not be coming across. I, I think you're loud uh, and clear so far. Okay. Well, good. The laptop's working. Okay, now, I should have had these lifted ahead of time. There we go. Perfect. All right. I do have one issue. Let me turn. I'm in my sunroom, otherwise known as the dead animal room, folks. But it's called the sunroom for a reason. There's windows that let the sun in. And the sun is shining right on my laptop, and I can't read it. So I, I'm literally holding it at an angle trying to read this email. Okay. It's crazy. We need to do one of these shows with you like in your car no, no, with we're a not. laptop. Or, There'll be or no just, video uh, of me recording. People will be, oh, my Lord. No, no, not a video, but just in strange places because, you. I mean, you kind of mix it up. That's just – there's no studio. It's just kind of wherever you happen to be sitting. It's true. Wherever, wherever I happen to be. It's, you know, I often said, folks, and again, Chris and I are brutally honest on this podcast uh, about our industry and about ourselves. And uh, when we say there is no script to this, it just it is what it is. <laughs> that literally is what today was. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not sure we need to tell people that. I think it's pretty clear that we don't have any sort of plan. Well, there could be a new listener <laughs> expecting this. This very well produced, highly formatted, well spoken podcast on retirement, and they're getting two yahoos, or at least one yahoo and and one college professor. Um, it's like I feel like Gilligan, and you're the professor. Um, so anyways, folks, I try my best, but I've often said if I literally can't talk for an hour or an hour and a half um, at the drop of a dime about what I do or a topic of what I do, I probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And, and I've always felt that way. And that's from day one, Chris, when we started this as a radio show, Lord only knows, I think over 12 years ago now, um, I just said – I'll decide what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this for an hour. And that's pretty much what we do. Okay. So this email came in. I don't know if he gave a hint. I don't think he did. Uh, oh, no, he did give a hint. Okay. Hmm. Huh. I don't know. 
I think if you think of this, you're going to narrow it down to some hot, dry state. Um, so it narrows your choice down. So here we go, folks. First question, and as we always do, when people give us a little hint, we play, try to stump Chris. I'm going to read his hint of the state he is in. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jim, Chris, et al. First of all, this is my number one go-to show for podcasts of all types. Well, I thank you, listener. Your show is a perfect blend of rabbit holes, dialogue, banter, and facts. Well, very good. See, he's winning me over with accolades. That's pretty good. I enjoy the content and information delivered by the members of your team. Here is my hint. I'm from the state that has a horned toad and a horned lizard as its state reptile. Hmm. Um, There's only a few hot, dry southern states. Doesn't have to be that hot and dry. We had horny toads in uh, Wyoming. Not horny, horned toads, you idiot. <laughs> no, no, that's what that's the other name for them. You do not call them horny. A horny toad is something yeah. totally different. A no, horny toad not. is a seventeen-year-old boy. No, that's no. We had horny toads. I bet if you look it up, I, I, I'm not going to do it right now, this second. But I'm ninety percent sure a horned toad and a horned lizard and a horny toad are all the same thing. So, uh, oh, all right. Anyway. I think you're trying to save yourself. So I think, no, I think, isn't there a university in Texas that are the horned toads or horned lizards or? There's the horned toads in Texas. They don't call themselves the horny toads. They call themselves the horned toads. Well, that's the university. They have to be more careful, but I think it's a generally mm-hmm. accepted name. You, you wouldn't know from Massachusetts. They don't have horny toads in, in Massachusetts. We have salamanders because it's wet there. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, horny toads are like, Dry, spiny salamanders. Okay, so pick the state. <laughs> Texas. I think it's, oh, I think it's Texas because the because uh, I think there's a university there that that's their mascot, isn't it? I'll, have to, I'll look that up at some point. But anyway, Texas. Excellent. Okay. But there are, there are horny toads in Wyoming, too. And there's horny toads all over the world. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate the information concerning WEP and GPO. For those who don't know, that's windfall elimination provision and government pension offset. Two unique little facets of Social Security that pertain to people who generally have a government pension that doesn't participate in Social Security. Chris talks about these two uh, factors all the time. So he continues, they will affect my wife's Social Security. I am waiting until 70 to collect my Social Security benefits. That will incur, that will occur in July of 2029. Four days prior. Oh, wait a minute. He says in July of 2029, Jim's birthday, otherwise known as Chocolate Cake Day. He is a good longtime listener because everybody knows Jim's birthday, July 24th, otherwise known. That's chocolate cake More day. specifically, cheap chocolate cake day. Yes, and Chris is 100% correct, and staff knows it. Go to Walmart, go to King Supers, go to Stop and Shop, buy the most crappy-ass cake that you can get in their bakery with that just white, sugary frosting, no cream stuff. Mm, love it. Okay, <laughs> that will occur in July of 2029. Jim's birthday or chocolate cake day is four days prior to mine. So I was born on the 24th. He's clearly, folks, do a little bit of math work here, July 28th. Mm-hmm. My wife will turn 67 in November of the same year, 2029. 
and is only eligible for spousal benefits as she was a CSRS government employee and stay-at-home mom. So this woman, CSRS, folks, is the old federal uh, retirement plan before they adopted FERS, which integrates Social Security with FERS. Prior to that, the government employees never participated in Social Security. Social Security was good enough for everyone but the federal government itself. And CSRS, you never paid into Social Security, but you got one amazing lifetime pension. Okay, so that's the case that this woman is in. Okay, she does not have enough quarters to qualify for Social Security on her own. I was wondering about the effects of her filing at the same time as I do for benefits to start in August. Or if we wait until after she turns 67, or maybe even wait until January of 2030. That way, the two of us can file retroactively to July or November, respectively. I understand that <clears throat> I understand that relatively large retroactive checks in January could push us into Irma. But I will have that issue regardless based on all of our income expected in 2029. Any thoughts on our choices would be appreciated. Now, before you go on and say, huh, he didn't even ask a question. The reason I chose this question, Chris, is why don't you explain to listeners what these retroactive benefits are and why he's trying to time when he may claim Social Security mm -hmm. and that they could. They have the option to get some pretty nice lump sum checks initially, but there comes a, a cost. There's a gotcha with that. Their Social Security won't quite be as high for the rest of their lives if they didn't apply for retro benefits. So in short, folks, I wanted Chris to kind of opine on retroactive benefits and how it all works. Sure. Um, so there's a couple pieces. I took a few notes on there. There's a couple pieces uh, I want to comment on. First of all, let's attack the retroactive situation. So you are able to file retroactively up to six months or back to your full retirement age month, whichever is less, whichever is a fewer number of months. So what retroactive claiming does is essentially allows you to backdate your application and collect benefits as if you had collected them, say, six months ago. So for for them, they're turning their full retirement ages in in uh, July. And uh, actually, he's he's going to be 70. But she's turning in November, uh, her full retirement age of 67. So uh, they have the option if they don't claim immediately, which it sounds like they're unsure when they want to claim. So maybe there's a let's wait and wait till we truly decide. Let's not feel pressured to file right away. We know if we do decide we want to file right at uh, 70 and 67 um, that oh, – you know, at his 70 where she wouldn't quite be 67 or her 67. Um, let's, you know, think about it for a while because we can file retroactively. So, and that's what it's meant for. It's, it's really designed. Well, some people use it for a different strategy. It's really designed for people who missed a date and social security essentially says, you know, don't worry about it. If you miss it, 
uh, you meant to, but you forgot, you couldn't get there in time, something happened, whatever, will allow you to backdate your application up to six months or back to your full retirement age. So you, you can't retroactively file to a month prior to your full retirement age. So be aware of that limitation. There is but that rule involved. But if you have reached your full retirement age and beyond, you can always opt to file retroactively instead of in the month that you contact Social Security. The, the default when you contact them is for them to um, you know, usually you're contacting them in the month you want to file, or maybe you're ahead of time. That's they actually recommend that you contact them about three months before you want to turn on your benefits just to make sure there's no delays. And so you're being pretty proactive in it. But if you choose to file retroactively, that's no problem. But remember, your benefits are going to be based on you filing back to that retroactive date. So normally when you wait past your full retirement age, you start to earn delayed retirement credits. If you choose to file retroactively, you'll give up any delayed retirement credits that you otherwise would have earned by simply claiming, like in their example, in January of the following year, in January of 2030, she'll have been a couple months past her full retirement age. He will actually not be earning any more delayed retirement credits because he'll be uh, he turned age 70 back in July, so he would have no bonus for waiting. So I think, you know, in the end, it's not going to make sense for him to delay claiming past 70 unless he's going to use retroactive filing for this alternate strategy that I'm about to discuss. So as far as before I go there, though, let me just clean up. I, I think he wanted guidance on kind of what they should do. And I think that depends on a lot. Her um, you know, deciphering his scenario, I think he's maybe weighing, should I claim at 70 and then have her go ahead and claim right then, even though it's a few months before her full retirement age? Um, she has the ability to do that. She can certainly claim her spousal benefit immediately after he claims, which he's going to do apparently at 70 uh, in July of 2029. Whether he claims it that month or he waits and then retroactively claims that month, they're be no reason I can think of that he would want to delay claiming past his age 70 because there's literally no benefit to doing so. No additional additional delayed retirement credit is going to be awarded to him. But she'd suffer a little bit of a, a reduction, and that reduction essentially comes down to um, I mean, the rule, the hard rule, if you people want to write this down, technically, when you claim your own or your spousal benefit earlier than your full retirement age, the reduction factor is 25 36 of a percent each month that you claim early for the first three years. And then it's five twelfths of a percent per month for each month more than three months early that you're claiming. Now, she's just talking about a few months, so she's going to be in that 25 36th. And you're like, what? where did that fraction come from? Well, that fraction comes from their goal that they want your benefit to be 25% lower if you claim three months early. So then they apply it actually on a monthly basis. So the math becomes 25 30, over 36 uh, each month is what you're going to um, experience. So, so that 25 over 36 turns out to be 0.6944%. So that's the percentage each month that you're going to um, 
be reduced if you claim early. So if she's got a November birthday and she claims in July when he turns 70, she's going to have a small reduction to her spousal benefit for the rest of her life as long as she's collecting that spousal benefit. So it's not tremendous, um, but that does exist. So that might be, you know, give them incentive to wait for her to claim at 67. Now be aware, spousal benefits get no upward adjustment for delayed retirement credits. So her waiting past 67 would be of no advantage to her. Uh, her spousal benefit will max out at in November. Um, so again, kind of like he would see no benefits for claiming after July. She would see no additional benefits to via a larger payment if she claimed after November. Um, so they might do that. So then that opens the door to why is he talking about then delaying until January, getting into the next year? Well, that's a tax strategy, effectively. It turns out if you do claim retroactively, they don't, they, they report your earnings, the payments to you in the year that they pay them to you. So for some reason, you wanted to shift the payments, the Social Security benefits that you would otherwise receive from July to the end of the year, and then for her from November to the end of the year, into the following tax year, you could intentionally wait until that next year, until January, and then say, I want to claim retroactively. You'd be made whole by them paying you all those benefits that you otherwise would have been due had you turned them on in July and November of the previous year. But because they're going to send you the money in the following year, in their example, in 2030, it's going to be reported for tax purposes as received in 2030. So it's going to bump up the income. You're going to receive all the benefits you'd normally receive in 2030, plus the retroactive piece for for her for um, December's payment that she normally would have gotten, and for him, the August through December's payments that normally would have come. Um, so if there's some reason they're trying to shift a little income from 2029 into 2030, that could make some sense. Um, I don't know enough about their situation to, to comment on whether that makes sense for them. It's going to depend on their income recognition in those two years. Is there a retirement in 2029 that's happening here? I don't remember right. I don't re remember hearing that as, as Jim was talking through it. So I, I cannot tell you that this is even worth it. I will tell you there doesn't appear to be any benefit to waiting past age 70 for him and her full retirement age because there's no additional benefit going to, you know, no benefit increase as a reward for waiting past that. The only question is, is there some tax reason why you might want to wait till the next year and then claim those months retroactively to shift some income from 2029 to 2030? I don't know for you if that makes sense or not, but that would be the reasoning. It wouldn't be because you get paid more or less Social Security. Um, in the end, you're going to get the same amount. They're going to send you a lump sum check for the months that you missed. They're going to pay you for the rest of your life like he claimed at 70 and she claimed at 67. So you're not going to game the system by you know squeezing more or less money out of it. Um, it's, um, it's really when do you want to recognize that income for them? But no out there, everyone has the right to claim retroactively up to six months or back to their full retirement age month, whichever is shorter. Um, you just have to be your full retirement age, obviously, to uh, to to do that. And if you do, 
just always think of it as I'm claiming I'm going to receive the benefits as if I had claimed back to that previous date. I don't get a win. This lump sum they're sending me is just the months that I missed. I'm not, I'm not getting more. I, I'm getting the same amount as if I would have claimed on the retroactive date that I've chosen with this application. So I think that that's probably the best I can do for them as far as clarifying things. Um, I don't have enough detail to know whether their this tax strategy would make sense for them or not. Yeah, I've always viewed this retroactive ability to do that, Chris, kind of like a Christmas club account that we had years ago at a bank. Mm. And you would kind of put money aside and then uh, go get a lump sum of money at Christmas time like it was magic. This to me, and again, I look at things through a simple mind, and I have read articles of people who who kind of file that retro benefit, get six months, and think they they came into something great, and they use that money to to fund a vacation early in retirement. I literally have read articles and stories, not so much in the press that that writes to financial advisors, but more uh, consumer financial press, as if this is some oh amazing hey you can have the government pay for a trip for you. And it just made me think or, or equate it to it's you're really not getting anything out of it, but it is one way to look at, especially for people who might be a little light in cash, that you could file this retroactive uh, claiming. You're going to get a little less Social Security, yes, because they will uh, – Again, if you file six months back, they, they're going to give you a benefit as if you filed six months early. But it does help, I think, some people maybe early in retirement get a nice lump sum check and maybe be able to go on a trip or do something that they might otherwise not have had the money for or felt comfortable from an emotional standpoint doing, but they somehow view this as free money. I I, I guess I am trying to say I, I think emotionally it can help some people, but financially it's really a wash. Yeah, it's it's really meant for people who miss the date they intended to file. They're just giving them some grace, allowing them to fix that error. That's what it's meant for. It's not really opening the door to some special strategy that's going to squeeze more money out for you or anything like that. So it's, uh, it's no, there. But it gives some people that some, lump sum and yeah. they just feel comfortable spending it. Yeah, it gives you some flexibility in there. Yeah. Okay, let's get into an Irma one. Same thing. Now, this one, Chris, wicked long, if you could see the email. When I first got it, I was like, oh, my Lord. But when I started reading through it, I thought, okay, I see where he's going with this. A lot of it I'm not going to need to to read. I'm just going to kind of summarize what happened. Because really, this is more of a uh, PSA from this listener. He's like, public service announcement. Hey, here's, here's what happened was you might want to share this with your listeners. But I thought it reflects something about Irma that I'll admit I wasn't really aware of. When he brought it to our attention in his email, I thought to myself, wow, that makes sense when you think about it. But I could clearly see how he would have done things the way he did things and think we're all set. So where am I going with this? So <clears throat> he is from... Uh, does not give a hint at all, but he does sign it at the bottom, his real name, then George in parentheses. Um, he's from Ohio. So uh, interesting that he's from the state where I was just in. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, he sent us this email way back, June 7th, 2022, so um, several months ago. Hello, Jim and Chris. You have a great show that provides excellent retirement information. Thank you very much, listener. Chris and I appreciate that. I know you discuss Irma on shows, and I wanted to provide details on my and he put in on our, excuse me, and he put in parentheses, my wife and me, recent experience with Irma and to get your feedback. So he gives a timeline, Chris, Mm -hmm. and in short, Chris and listeners, in September of 2020, he accepted a retirement package from his employer, which included a one-time payment incentivizing him to retire. April of 2020, they filed a joint 1040, which included that one-time incentive payment. In November of that year, November of 2021, Social Security sent notifications that their 2020 MAGI, MAGI rather, Modified Adjusted Gross Income, pushed us into the IRMA brackets and that our pot B and D premiums would more than double. That's a pretty big hit they took, folks. That's a deep IRMA bracket. Mm-hmm. So in November 21, based on that letter, he filed Form SSA 44 mm-hmm. based on information from our show. And he thought, wow, everything is great. He filed the form. I, as I was reading his timeline, I didn't pick up on any of this. I'm going to skip the rest of what he did because it would go on forever. The short of it was his Social Security was not, excuse me, his Medicare, well, his Social Security was not reduced by increased Medicare premiums. They accepted SSA 44 for him, and he didn't suffer the deep Irma hit they were going to take. But his wife didn't receive the same treatment. So when her premiums were not uh, reduced, he essentially got a hold of Social Security, and they said, hey, she needs to file SSA 44 for herself as well. Even though you guys file a joint tax return and we're looking at your joint income on it, you each have to file SSA 44. Once they did that, his wife too received the adjustment. So I'm skipping a lot of his timeline. And if the listener is listening to this, I'm not doing it for any other reason but to be pithy. But the reason I wanted to chat about this, Chris, I never knew. It makes sense, but I never knew a thought of it that, wow, each member on the joint tax return needs to file it because they're each paying their own social, uh, excuse me, they each receive their own social security and they each pay their own Medicare premiums. Mm-hmm. So anyways, kind of a PSA that I wanted to share and see if you wanted to opine any on that. Maybe a little. You kind of revealed it in the walkthrough here. They told him what uh, needed to happen that he hadn't thought of, which was each of them had to file their own SSA 44. And if you go to the form, you'll see there's only room for one name and one social security number. I can see where he might assume, since it was due to a joint tax return, 
that maybe this one form they would put two and two together at you know at social security and say oh you know we should we should fix it for the wife as well but they don't um as he's discovered it's uh independently now i think they should have a version of the ssa 44 with a checkbox or something that says this situation applies to my spouse as well or something like that but it currently does not do that so um that's I'm glad he wrote this in because this is something we don't explicitly state repeatedly. I think it's I would think it's come up at least once or twice before. But when we talk about SSA 44, we just talk about filing it. We don't constantly say, "Oh, remember, both of you need to file it, both spouses, if they're subject to social or to uh, Medicare premiums and um, and the and you're filing a joint tax return, which is what triggers this for both." people listed on that joint tax return, uh, you need to uh, file this independently. The other thing I would like to point out is SSA 44 is a little confusing, actually, uh, to fill out. And I want to remind people of something. And it says it right in the instruction. So if you if you Google or search for um, SSA 44, the actual SSA 44 is um what is it one two three pages long before you get to the signature and then page four is the privacy act disclosure and then starting at page five are the instructions and they're long there's there's as many instructions as the the whole form there's five six seven and eight there's four pages instructions to fill out this ssa 44 and i will say i think it could be better put together. I, I think it's confusing for a lot of people. But remember this, and I'm going to read right off, right at the beginning of the instructions. It says, you do not have to complete this form in order to ask that we use your information about your modified adjusted gross income for a more recent tax year. If you prefer, you may call 1-800-772-1213, which is the customer service line at Social Security, and speak to a representative from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on business days to request an appointment at one of our field offices. If you're hearing impaired, they give you a different number. So you can go, you can just talk to someone and, and go in and they'll essentially fill it, fill it in for you and make sure that it gets done correctly based on the information you're providing. So if you find that the SSA 44 is overwhelming, and uh, and you're really worried about not doing it right or something like that. Although if you don't do it right, you can always appeal it. You can always do it again if if some if if they deny it because you filled it out wrong or something like that. But if you're worried, the top the very first statement on the instructions tells you you don't have to fill out this form. You can contact us and then we'll hook you up with a representative. And uh, uh, you can do this. Usually there's a. It's best to to meet face to face ultimately like like I just read they uh, will set up an appointment for you at a field office because you know a lot of the life changing events that you're going to claim require documentation and if you go in there they can then see the documentation and and uh um I would hope scan it in um, and hand it right back to you rather than keeping it and then returning it to you but I can't swear to you that that's going to be available at every office or if they do it that way I know if you mail it in, you have to mail in proof uh, for a lot of these life-changing events. Um, and uh, so, you know, that might be a reason to go face-to-face with somebody as well. But 
bottom line for this particular, and I like that Jim, uh, you know, called it a PSA, public service announcement. Don't forget, both spouses, if they're on Medicare, need to file their own SSA 44. It can be for the same reason. So you can fill it out essentially identically, but you each have to fill it out and send it in, each tied to your unique social security numbers for it to automatically apply to both of you. So thank you, listener, for sending that in. That was a, a great PSA. Yes, and it made me think of two things as you were answering this question. Totally, this is definitely a squirrel moment, folks, so you might want to fast forward through it or patiently sit there and let me ramble. As you were saying, and you you read out the phone number and said, hey, you know, on the form, you can call this phone number. I couldn't help but think, um, because recently everybody knows Matthew Perry, otherwise known as Chandler, uh, sadly passed away. But I like Friends. I never did in the 90s. I love it now. And I watch it constantly. Reruns, obviously. There's an episode where Phoebe is waiting on hold for someone. And the, and the recording is coming. You are next in line. You are important to us. And the whole episode is her refusing to hang up the phone because she's next in line. And she spends all night waiting. I could just see. You calling Social Security and being Phoebe in that episode uh, of Friends. Just anyways, kind of thought I would share that. Well, hopefully you don't run into that. But I, I have heard that it's gotten better. Um, so I don't think it's horrific um, getting through to someone these days. So I think it's I, I don't think it's too bad. No, I still remember the episode from Friends. All right. Yeah. All right. We have two new questions of the week. One from last week, which I had every intention of answering last week, folks, until I died and came back to life three days later. Um, but and, you know, I was in hell for those three days, Chris, and hell suspiciously looks like an Airbnb in Loveland, Ohio, where you spend your time not burning in infinity. You spend it in bed, unable to get up. And when you do, you next appear in a bathroom where you spend nearly infinity there as well. So that's hell when you die. But apparently God realized three days into it, oops, Jim shouldn't have died. Wrong and guy. I came back, <laughs> yeah. it came back to life. But hell, folks, is an Airbnb in Loveland, Ohio, specifically the bedroom and bathroom of said Airbnb. Okay, so this one I wanted to answer before I died. And it begins, hi, Jim and Chris. I really appreciate your podcast. It's one of the few that is chock full of good advice and the nuances that go into retirement planning. We're getting all sorts of accolades. So I appreciate, I guess someone's not going to write your show sucks, yeah, but can you please but answer you, this question? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's called self-selection bias. <laughs> Although if somebody has the nerve to do that, I think I would still answer their question. I hate your show. Jim, quote unquote, is an acquired taste. That's when I stopped reading the, our reviews. People don't like me. Everyone loves Chris, but, um, if you, yeah, if you write that, hey, you know, I can't stand the show, but can you answer this question? I, I'm I'm proud enough to say I would still answer the question, assuming it's within a realm of being able to answer it. Okay, state hint. Now, this hint, Chris, I disagree with. Hmm. We don't vet these. The, you, you I, I get everyone listening to this, unless you're from this state and this truly is what the state is known as. You're not going to guess it. Hmm. There's no way you're going to get this right. You ready? Mm-hmm. I come from the state that is known as America in miniature 
because its topography ranges from sandy dunes to marshlands to pine groves. What state essentially has the topography of the entire United States is what they're saying. Utah. You're not going to guess it. Utah. No, think of a state that could not possibly be the state. There's my hint. New Hampshire. <laughs> is that Close. It? Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Seriously. If you were throwing dots at New Hampshire, if that was the bullseye, you, you probably just got the, the, the one to the oh. – the state would be uh, to the lower right of New Hampshire. Connecticut? What is there? See, oh, the New England to me is just one big blob of people. Not New England, folks. People who it's landed where my here. Ches- it's where my Chesapeake Bay Retriever is from, Maryland. Mm. I do not consider Maryland a subset, the topography of the United States. Maybe it was the There's topography no- of the U.S. before 1800. <laughs> maybe, maybe they got it right. Exactly. Topography of the United States uh, before we discovered that there's uh, right. the Cumberland Gap and this whole area called Kentucky. But Maryland does not come to mind. Oh. They've got no hot dryness, no no mountains. I would have said, and I did, California. I think California, Maybe. for all its faults, does have a topography that pretty much scans anywhere in the United States. There's some part of California that reflects it. Um, but anyways, Maryland. Hmm. Okay, here's this question. My question concerns the one-time IRA to HSA conversion. And I wish I had this mm-hmm. because it's the acronym that no one can pronounce because it's not an acronym. It's something else. Remember that Q something? Why don't you Google what that is, Chris? Uh, the, the acronym for the, oh, the IRA to HSA yeah. conversion. What that is, folks, as Chris gets the initials of it, the government allows you and HSA is health savings account, for those who don't know. The government lets you take money in an IRA and move it tax and penalty free into an HSA to represent that year's HSA contribution. It's not in addition to the contribution. It's in lieu of. It works concurrently together. So as long as you don't make a physical contribution to your HSA that year, you can take money from your IRA and move it into the HSA to represent that year's contribution. You can only do it once. It's a one and done. You can never do it again. Did you get the initials of what that is? No, because nobody uses it because it's such a weird one. It's such um, a weird. So they just call it what it is. They just describe it, but I'll, I'll find it because I know what you're talking about. It's yeah, it's 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 the most bizarre yeah. acronym, and it's not an acronym. Remember, we had the guy who I think works for the Department of Acronyms write a whole email of what that is. Um, but anyways, Chris will look that up. So that's what they're trying to do, folks. They have an IRA. They want to get money from the IRA into their health savings account. So they continue. I am 58 and working. My husband is 64. And retired. I've got it. We are. Pardon? I've got it. Oh, what was it? It's a. So it stands for qualified HSA funding distribution. So a Cahusafud <laughs> QHSAFD. Cahusafud. And, and you're not supposed to pronounce it that way. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to. You're not supposed to. Um, remember, we had that gentleman. Oh, I know. Who, yeah. I'm and glad you wrote I'm, I'm going to pull up 
Here it is. I saved this email because I really feel, folks, this mm-hmm. guy works for the Department of Acronyms. He said what you have is a stackronym, S-T-A-C-K-R-O-N-Y-M. Oh, right. And yeah, he specifically – initialism or something inside of it right it's an Mm -hmm. acronym stacked on excuse me it's an acronym or initialization Mm -hmm. stacked on top of another acronym he -hmm. said so qhfd qualified and then in the middle hsa yeah there's your first acronym uh-huh. Excuse me, no, initialization. HSA uh-huh. is initialization. Initialization is you don't pronounce it as a, a word. You don't say a HSA. You say HSA. So that is an initialization. So you have a QH, which stands for the HSA, Funding Distribution FD. So that's a stackronym. Anyways, the hell with that. Let's get back to the question. <laughs> but um, I, I, we, we, we appreciate it. In my heart, from- it will always be a Kihusafud. You call it Kihusafid. Let's get back to this question. Okay, folks. So here's the, 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 in a nutshell, what they ask. Our goals are to get as much money as possible out of our traditional IRAs so we can avoid very large RMDs and the associated IRMA down the road. Let's pause there, listener, because many of you do-it-yourselfers save a hell of a lot of money. And that's great. But the majority of you save it inside tax-qualified accounts. Now, the cynic in me, the tinfoil hat, black helicopter gym, is saying the government does this by design. Let's give you a little, kind of a loan, if you wanted to look at it that way. Let's allow you to put money into your retirement accounts, and we're going to let you deduct it. They're going to want that money back later, folks. It's like they're, they're loaning you some money that they're going to rip back with huge taxes later. So everybody takes advantage of that. Let's kick the can down the road. Let's delay the pain and the suffering as long as we can. We do that as humans. I need to have one of my teeth looked at for a bone graft. My dentist keeps telling me, and I got to go to one of those bone graft dentists. I don't know what they're called. They're oral surgeons or whatever they're called. Anyways, I keep putting it off, but I'm going to finally go mostly because my girlfriend keeps hounding me. And it's because I don't feel like dealing with having to get that done. But that's human nature. Same thing with with saving in retirement accounts. You don't want to pay those taxes yet. So you're going to delay it as long as you can. Now, this listener who's in their 60s, late 50s and 60s are beginning to realize, holy moly, we kicked this can down the road. The younger us wanted those extra dollars so we can go do things with it. But my goodness, the older us, we're going to get nailed in taxes, especially in retirement, especially when you account for the fact that it's all going to be taxed as income, not capital gain, which is far more favorable. No step up in basis at our death. 
at all because this is considered income with respect to a decedent, money inside our IRAs, no step up, no capital gains treatments, taxed as income, which is going to push us into cliff brackets, subjecting our Medicare to IRMA surcharges. Wow, this wasn't really a good thing after all. For a lot of people, they won't experience that because they don't save much for retirement. But most people are surprised, Chris, especially those probably listening to this podcast, successful in whatever your career may be, whether you were a mechanic. And I always mention that because a mechanic pointed out to us once that he makes really good money and he has a very specialized career and he is right. But whether you were an excellent mechanic or a phenomenal physician, most likely if you're listening to this podcast, you've amassed wealth. And you've amassed wealth in always taxable accounts. That's why I call them what they are, always taxable. So these people are starting to wake up to that fact. And they're like, holy moly, let's get as much money as possible out of our IRAs. Now, she admits this isn't going to be a huge deal. It's not much in dollars that they can put in. Chris, can you Google real quickly what the family maximum this year is um, for an HSA? Uh, when you say this year, you want 2023 or 2024? 2023. 2023 is um, $8,300. Okay. $8,300. With, with both a catch-up. Right. They're both over 50, and that's that's catch-up, not the, con, the, the condiment catch-up, but catch-up. Over 55, remember. But over 55, they can each put in – well, no, she can only put in um, – no, she's 58. He's 64. I thought she was 54. So, so they can – Put an additional thousand in. So between right. the two of them, ten thousand three hundred dollars. Right. Not a lot of money, but as her point is, every little bit helps. We've got to get this out of our always taxable accounts. You all should be doing this. Look at your tax diversification. And sometimes after you get the match, continuing to plow money. In employer-sponsored, always taxable retirement accounts may not be the best thing. Just sharing that with you. So okay. I, I misspoke. That's the 2024 number. I've, I've, my mind has already transitioned to 2024. So 2023 number is still the uh, 7750. Okay. And the year's getting close to the end. They may not get this done. So it's either going to be 77, whatever Chris just said, uh, or 83, and an additional thousand dollars each on top of that one time only they have the cash flow they could easily cover it with dollars outside of an ira but her point is well, what the hell we got this ability let's do it but here's her questions and she asked some good questions folks on this she said i do not have a traditional ira now remember folks she's the one though with the high deductible health care plan in order to do an HSA, you need to have as your health insurance a high deductible HSA qualified health care plan. I have a high deductible plan. It's not HSA qualified. I'm on the uh, Obamacare uh, exchange and I pay full premiums. I don't get any uh, premium help, but... Um, I find that that, that uh, health insurance on the exchanges is expensive, but 
good. It treated me well with two ablations and a stroke and a thrombectomy. It really treated me well. I have shared that I dropped my HSA because the non-HSA had better benefits on drugs. But I am now looking at moving back to an HSA uh, this year during my open enrollment. So again, you need not just to have a high deductible plan. It has to be an HSA eligible high deductible plan. And it's usually listed in the name of the plan if it's HSA eligible or not. So keep that in mind. It's not just high deductible, must be HSA eligible. She's the one with the HSA plan. He's the one with the IRA. So she asks, I only have Roth IRAs and in an inherited traditional IRA. Since I am the working spouse and I have the high deductible health care plan and I don't have my own traditional IRA, it seems I cannot do an HSA conversion. But can my husband do it from his traditional IRA to his HSA account? And if so, can we both take advantage of the $1,000 catch-up contributions? Or are we only able to take advantage of his catch-up contribution? One more fact that may apply here. My employer will make a $1,000 contribution to my HSA every year, whether HSA account whether I contribute to it or not. So this was a great question because there's a couple of unique things here that we can chat about. Mm -hmm. So in short, the rules are simple. Anyone looking to do a quahasifa, whatever you want to call it, a qualified HSA, what's the F stand for? Distribution. Financial distribution? Funding distribution. Funding distribution. If the money comes from your IRA, it must go into your HSA account. But here's something unique. The husband does not have an HSA, high, de high deductible, excuse me, he does not have the high deductible health care plan. His wife does. But by mere fact that he's covered by it, it does not matter if they contribute to his HSA account or hers. In fact, married couples often have their own HSA accounts once they reach age 55. Why? The 55, excuse me, the over 55 $1,000 HSA catch-up contribution must go into each individual's separate HSA accounts. But the family maximum, let's use 8,300. Let's pretend it's 2024. Mm -hmm. The, tw the $8,300 that can be contributed as the family maximum contribution, because remember, they have a family health care plan. Yours truly only has a single HSA eligible plan. So my contribution is less. I don't know what it is. Chris can look it's up half. what I can. Put in. 
half of it. Mm-hmm. So half of 80, uh, half of uh, 8,300, I'm going to do this on a whim, 4,150. Did I nail it? Nailed it. All right. I can put 4,150 into mine. So once a spouse, or excuse me, once the couple exceed age 55, each of them need their own HSA account for the $1,000 catch-up contribution. So here's what this couple can do. The husband can take not 8300 7300 because the employer is making a $1,000 contribution for the wife into her HSA account leaving them $7,300 of the family maximum $8,300 that they can contribute in 2024. So the husband can take $7,300 and his $1,000 catch-up out of his IRA next year for 2024 and move that into his HSA account, tax and penalty free. The wife, her $1,000 catch-up contribution must come from her dollars and go into her HSA plan. Mm -hmm. Now, there could be a cost to this in the sense, if the I'm guessing she has the ability to fund her HSA through payroll deduction because the employer is making a contribution on her behalf. I would suspect they would allow her. They don't have to, but maybe they allow her to fund her HSA with payroll deduction. When you fund an HSA with payroll deduction, you get a trifecta in tax benefit. The money you put in is tax deductible for you on that year's income tax return. When the money is removed for a qualified healthcare expense, and there's tons of them, later in their retirement, it's 100% tax-free, plus all growth is 100% tax-free. But when funded through an employer contribution, uh, excuse me, uh, a payroll deduction through the employer, she also doesn't have to pay Social Security tax and Medicare tax on those dollars. Now, unless she's looking to maximize her Social Security and she earns less than the annual limit, it could be a benefit for her to fund it through payroll, but it would defeat what they're trying to do. They are trying to get less money in their IRA. So she's trying to drain the IRA. She's going to have to crunch the numbers and see which one works. But the point is... The husband can do it and fund his HSA account and his catch-up with the IRA. She must make her personal catch-up from her own assets. Yeah, that was a good one. I think you covered a lot of the elements. So people overthink the Kihusafud. Um It's just an, a way that year to make your potential contribution to an HSA, but you in all other regards have to qualify to be able to make the contribution in the first place. It's not a way to get money in the HSA when you otherwise couldn't. It's just a matter of this year, we're going to take it from the IRA, or at least a portion of it, rather than 
through payroll deductions or or cash from other sources to put in there. We're going to do it from the IRA. There's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, which I think Jim mentioned, but if not, just want to emphasize that. You only get to do this once, so it's not an ongoing each year you can do this. This is a one-time shot, and it's just meant to kind of kickstart your HSA balance is, I think, the reasoning behind this. But if you can't make otherwise an HSA contribution, this is not a way to work around that. You've got to qualify to be able to make the contribution. Then the contribution can come from your IRA in this once-in-a-lifetime event, the Kihusafud, QHSA. Yeah, a couple more things with that before we wrap this up because we beat this horse to death. Um, First, the if the let's just say the husband does this in January to get this over and done with. From let's just say he does it January fifteenth. I'm randomly choosing this date of twenty twenty four. He must remain qualified mm-hmm. for making an HSA contribution for twelve months after he does the transfer from his IRA. So he can't do it in January of 2024 and then get off that HSA plan later in the year or that entire distribution will be taxable. And he has to go till the last day of the month he does it in. So if he does it January 15th of 2024, he must remain part of that high deductible HSA plan until January 31st. First of 2025. If at any time during that time frame he's no longer on that HSA high deductible plan, that distribution is now taxable. Yep. So they might want a time when he's going on Medicare. Or is he going to stay off Medicare because this employer plan qualifies as a supplement? In other words, pretty much it will if they have more than 20 employees. She doesn't say how many employees her employer plan is. She may want to ask her employer if the husband can stay on health her health care and is their health benefit, their health insurance, a legitimate substitute for Medicare. It allows them to not go on Medicare yet because the husband must be eligible for that right to uh, the 31st of January in my example. Um, So they may want to do this in January to get it done with. Uh, Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a little extra rule that people should be aware of. And finally, I and Chris are not HSA experts. I believe everything I said was correct, but I'm only human. And if anyone listening to this knows as a fact that I I misrepresented things or misstated things, please let us know and we will clarify this. I know a lot about HSAs, but not like some people I have met. I've gone to presentations of some, some, uh, both of them were were male, uh, of two guys who were the Ed Slot of IRAs. In fact, one is a member of the Ed Slot program. I've learned from them. I geek out on this stuff, as you all know, but I'm not an expert on it. So I believe everything I said is correct, but I am only human. All right. I want to wrap up because I have another 
uh, meeting in 15 minutes. So I just want to get through one more question if okay. we could. Sure. Uh, I apologize. I'm not going to be able to get to an annuity question this week, but I thought this one was a good question um, that he asked and, and is, well, you and I will opine on it and, and keep it brief. I just shut me up, Chris, as we go through this. <laughs> okay. I am new to the personal finance Sophia and discovered my 403B plan charges a weighted expense to me of 1.6215%. I thought to myself, Chris, here is a Vanguard engineer kind of guy. <laughs> Take it up to four decimal places, yeah. He, yeah. He's got it down to the T of what he's paying. A 403B plan, folks, to me, is the wild west of retirement accounts. I find more crap 403Bs than 401Ks or 401As or 457 plans for that matter. The 403B, which is huge in the educational sphere, is ruled by insurance companies. And they have some of the, and I'm just being brutally honest, some of the most mediocre performing funds with some of the highest fees I have ever seen. It truly is the Wild West. And in fact, under the Obama administration, and I'm not turning this into political, I'm just showing you how far back this goes. They first introduced what has become known in our industry as the DOL rule, trying to clean up. So I give Obama and their administration credit. I don't like the way they did it, and the court struck it down as being unconstitutional. And the DOL has tried unsuccessfully again, and now the third attempt has recently been launched. But the government is trying to really clean up excessive fees in my industry. I don't like the way they're doing it. And in another podcast, I'll share why. However, even under everything the DOL was trying to do going way back to Obama, 403Bs were excluded. And it made me bang my head against the wall. You're going to exclude 403Bs from this fiduciary best interest, low fee obligation? Who the hell has you paid off? So this guy has picked up, I'm not saying all 403Bs have mediocre, high-fee insurance company-run plans, but it's not unheard of. And a bunch of them are, are not ERISA. Is the, no, I 403B think plans aren't ERISA-protected plans at all. Well, some are. It's a mixed bag, but they're, many of them are exempt from it, which is what allows them to do some things that otherwise wouldn't be allowed. So he continues, folks, I earn $170,000 a year and I intend to work six more years. And he gets into some of the other assets and what they're going to do. We have two Vanguard Roths. <coughs> Excuse me. We have two Vanguard Roths. My question is, what do you think I should do about this 403B and its outrageous heavy fees? Do you advocate I stop contributing and move the $1,250 per month I'm making to a brokerage account? Or do you have any other ideas? When I retire, I am so looking forward to rolling this outrageously high fee 403B into an IRA. Thank you for your help. Uh, he gives his name. 
uh, and state. He's from Miami, Florida. He doesn't give a hint. Here's a couple of things, because I am certainly not telling this man what to do. I don't know him. I don't know his situation. We don't have a financial planning relationship. I'm just giving some advice. And then, Chris, you can give some advice. Mm -hmm. But my thoughts are this. First, before you stop contributing to it, maybe look, just like we announced earlier, you don't give us an idea of your total assets. Do you? What's your tax diversification? Is most of your retirement assets tied up in always taxable accounts? You're only working six more years. Would it behoove you to stop saving and getting a current income tax deduction on $1,250 a month? Well, you'd have to do some some number crunching there or some ciphering, as they used to say on the Beverly Hillbillies with Jethro, who uh, was the cipher, if you will. Maybe you have to start crunching some numbers and seeing, are you just creating a future tax hazard and saving in a brokerage account might make sense? Possible. You got to crunch the numbers. But you can also do this. 403Bs are unique in that the school districts sponsoring them are not limited to just one provider. In fact, many school districts had three, four, five, six different 403B providers. Mm -hmm. Some school districts, in an effort to simplify, have restricted them down to one provider again. But I would start with the school district. I would go to whoever the board is that oversees this retirement plan, and there will be one. There'll be some decision maker or makers, plural, who are deciding who the provider is, what are the investments that they can offer. You might have to do some digging. You know, the squeaky worm gets the wheel. The, the, the squeaky worm? What the hell does that mean? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Squeaky wheel, not a worm. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. No, the squeaky grease gets the. No. <laughs> Help me out here, dude. Squeaky, yeah, the squeaky, squeaky wheel gets, gets the oil usually. It could be grease, oh. but either one. Yeah, the, right, the early bird wheel. gets the worm. If you bitch and complain, they're going to listen to you. That's what it means. <laughs> so if you can find out who the board is, mm -hmm. go to them. Yep. Help your other employees who probably don't know this because they're not listening to two yahoos on a podcast and taking retirement seriously. Start with them. Say, hey, I'm not asking you to get rid of this provider. I'm asking you to give us another choice because you have that. Excuse me. 403Bs have the ability to have multiple providers. Mm -hmm. I would try to get a low cost provider in. Mm -hmm. I would show them the outrageous fees. You might want to make mention to them of the many lawsuits that are coming down mm -hmm. by employees against their employer for having high, unreasonably high fee retirement accounts. You might want to say you're trying to protect them from a future lawsuit as well. I would start there. Now, as far as you, you got to do some number crunching. Look at your tax diversification in the future. Look at what the additional taxes would cost you now if you don't put the money into an employer plan. 
Make sure there's no match you would be giving up, even though you have outrageous high fees of 1.6215%. If you're still getting a 100% match of the first X amount of dollars, even net of that fee, you're still coming out ahead. So don't lose any quote-unquote free match. But if you're not getting a match or anything north of the match, I can't tell you if you should continue doing it or not. You've got to crunch the numbers and see what that would cost. But my gut tells me you 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 might, might be better off not putting it in this high-cost plan if you're going to be in a same or lower uh, excuse me, a same or higher tax bracket in the future. I would, though, try to get the employer to change because they can. It's just apathy and neglect that no one has ever asked them or forced them. Be be that pain in the hiney guy and get them to change it. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah. I agree. Don't don't uh, overlook. Uh, the ability to change this stuff. This is not something you just have to companies just have to deal with and they have no power. They get to choose the providers and there's a movement across the United States where a lot of this is being addressed. And so they, maybe they're already talking about doing it because they're already aware that the fees are, are high. Um, Oftentimes, an employer like this, you'll have another choice, too. You might have access to another place to defer money. If it still makes sense to defer, just defer the minimum required into the 403B and then load up the rest in you know, a 457 or something that's likely going to have much lower fee options within it. Um, so that'd be the other thing to look at. Um, not Chris, if the 457 is offered, I didn't name the company. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, but I will speak to this listener. Yeah. I don't like that company and they're not known as having low fees. And when I say I don't like them, I've had to deal with them on the administrative side mm-hmm. of trying to move accounts from them. And it was an absolute nightmare. So I don't really care for the company. If this particular company is also offering the 457, he, he might be going from one frying might, pan to right, the other. Might still be trapped, but it's, it's worth checking because, you know, 403Bs are also called tax deferred annuities because they're built essentially for insurance companies to offer them. And they generally have some form of an annuity offering within them, which oftentimes leads to high fee structure. And you might have another choice. So that'd be another place to look. But, uh, yeah, I think your most powerful tool, especially if you're going to be with the employer for a while, um, so that your efforts could then, you know, benefit you for a number of years moving forward. If you're retiring next year, this will be effort for the people behind you, you know, coming up behind you that you're going to save them money, hopefully, by having the, uh, the plan sponsor, um, the, the company itself, the entity. I guess wouldn't necessarily be a company if it's a governmental agency, but, but they need to look at this. And there are a lot of governmental agencies. There's a bunch of universities around the country that are getting sued, uh, for this kind of issue as well. I know that our, you know, my university just went through a whole structuring process and we went from three providers to one and they negotiated much, much better fees on all the offerings in exchange for going with one provider. The one provider, essentially they used their buying power to say, if we go with just one of you, which one of you is going to give us the best deal for our employees? And they, uh, you know, that was one of the main factors in deciding that one uh, provider now. So we've gone from three down to one. 
and it, the benefit is better fee structure on everything and, and simplicity. There's they're trying to simplify things for people who don't understand how all, a lot of this stuff works, trying to prevent people from getting into trouble out of, of naivete. So um, yeah, this is a this is a movement across the United States. So I don't think you're the board or whoever the oversight committee is at your employer is going to be surprised that you bring this to their attention. If they are, they're not paying attention. <laughs> they're not doing their fiduciary duty, uh, in, in my opinion, if they're, if they are surprised by your request for lower fees. Right. Don't take this laying down. Try, and, and if anything, consider it a, a um, crusade that you're doing for your fellow employees who aren't going to be retiring in six more years mm-hmm. and are trying to save for retirement. And again, 1.6 one, excuse me, 1.6215% of your assets could be representing, especially with returns being so muted. Everybody's anticipating single digit returns on average going forward, not, not in any given year, but on average. So if people are going to be averaging five, six, seven percent in this portfolio, this, this, um, product over the course of their retirement, they could be giving up 15, 20, 25, 30% of their return. It's outrageous, especially to this company, mm-hmm. which I don't like at all. So yeah. anyways, consider it a crusade that you could be doing as well. Chris, I got to run. I got okay. a 12 o'clock and a couple more minutes uh, meeting that I Jacob will kill me if I'm not on. Okay. So you can I got to run, everybody. It's been a pleasure. Chris is going to wrap up and uh, keep the questions coming. And I look forward to chatting to everybody again in the not too distant future. Great. Thanks, Jim. So if you uh, want to send your own questions, I'll remind you again, as I did at the top of the show, uh, send those emails directly to Jim, jim at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. In the subject line, indicate that it's a question for the podcast. We do really appreciate everyone listening and sending in questions. It's what's make, what makes the show work. Um, we'd have to go down to just one show, the EDU show, if we didn't have a constant flow of questions. So we do appreciate you reaching out. Um, yeah, everybody take care. Um, next week is Thanksgiving. I have to haven't talked to Jim about if we're going to have shows on regular schedule next week or not. I don't know. So just a quick heads up. There might be one show we skip for Thanksgiving itself. But um, if we happen to do that, we will get right back on it the week following. But we might be able to record enough ahead of time to uh, have an uninterrupted flow of shows over the Thanksgiving holiday. So stay tuned. Thanks a lot, and we'll be back with you next week, hopefully, with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556.
The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.